Father, we say holy is your name. You are other, unique. There is none like you, Lord. There is none like you. And so, of course, we come to you this morning because some of us are weary, Lord, because some of us are running on empty. And the good news is we can take heart because help is on its way. And holy is his name. And we thank you, Lord, for all that that Jesus taught on this earth, but we thank you that he's more than teacher, that he's savior of the world, of all who will believe in you. And Lord, we pray this morning that you would encourage our faith, that you would strengthen our hope, that you would fill us with the joy that comes only to those who know you personally. Lord, we need your joy because our world, frankly, Lord, is a mess. There's a lot of hurt and a lot of pain and a lot of sadness and sorrow. And were it not for your joy, Lord, we could not survive. So thank you, Lord, for sustaining us today by your powerful word. And we pray, Lord, that you would speak specifically to each of us, Lord. You, you, uh, you read our texts, you know our emails, you know our hearts, you know our needs, Lord, and we come to you because you're the only answer for people like us. And we thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do in our lives today, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. God is good all the time. time. Got a little different arrangement up here this morning. I was thinking about the time Bobby Bowden took his family to church. Bobby Bowden, who was the uh, illustrious football coach of the Florida State uh, Seminoles, and uh, they went to church. He and his wife and their six children were sitting on the front row, and the evangelist at this revival had set up a 40-foot-long beam across the front, and to make a point, he pointed at Bobby Bowden. He didn't know who Bobby was, but he said, would you, would you walk across that beam? And Bobby Bowden said, I would walk across that beam. He said, what if it was one foot off the ground? And he said, well, I, w- I would. He said, well, what if it was, what if it was 100 feet off the ground? Would you walk across that beam? And Bobby Bowden said, probably not. And he said, what if you had to walk across that beam to save the life of one of your children? Would you walk across that beam? And he thought for a moment, he said, which child? <laughs> you know, so there was just that moment there because we want to love our kids evenly, but you know, they're just moments. And, and uh, I love the fact that God knew us. He knew everything about us and he was willing to send his only son to walk all the way up that hill, to be nailed to that cross, to die the ignominious, cruel death of a criminal, knowing who we were while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. This is a marvelous, marvelous portrait of the love of God that we see in John chapter 3, verse 16. We've been looking at that together. I want us to read chapter 3, verses 16 to 18 together again this morning. And then I want to read John chapter 1 with you as we think about Jesus, the one and only. The one and only. Let's stand together. We have thought about uh, the pursuit of God's love and the parameters of his love. He loves the whole world. Today, I want us to see the price of his love and it's clearly mapped out for us in John chapter three, verse 16. You know these verses, but read them out loud with me today. It's good to remind ourselves that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, 
But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Notice those words, one and only, because they come back to us uh, in John uh, chapter one, verses 14 to 18. And I just wanna read these verses to you again as part of the story of God's greatest gift. It says, um, actually, uh, yeah, in verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we've seen his glory the glory, here it is again, of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. Uh, he cries out saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after Another, or I like the new NIV, receive grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ. Then in verse 18, no one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only who is at the Father's side has made him known. That's good news for us today. Please be seated. Don't you love to give the good news about our God is in this season when we celebrate giving, uh, God loves to give. And I thought this week, so where did the whole connection of giving and Christmas begin? And we can look back at the stories of Christmas in the Christmas narratives. Um, we find in Luke the story of the shepherds and when they find out that God has given his gift to them. This is marvelously portrayed, by the way, in our music tonight. And when they realize that God has given uh, his son to them, they give God their praise and they sound abroad. They tell everybody they meet that God's son has come into the world. The Magi, the story of those wise men, another marvelous story who bring gold and frankincense and myrrh. And I don't know how much that would cost today, but apparently they weren't worried about how much it cost. They didn't count the price because they had a sense that this child for whom a constellation came, this child who would cause consternation to come in the lives of many was worth their best gifts because he was God's very best gift to them. So they give him their worth. They give him their worship, their worship. They give God all that they are. But it goes back further than that before the shepherds, before the magi. It's really God saying, I know who you are and I care enough to give you my very best. I will give you my one and only son so that you may live. We'll talk more about that next weekend as we come to the crescendo of this and especially on Christmas Eve that God wants everybody to live. But for that to happen, God knew he had to give his unique, that's the word, one and only, monogenes, the only one born. Look, there were myriad angels in heaven. God could have sent one of them. There were prophets that he had sent. There were all kinds of people in the world. But when God wanted to save the world, he had to give up his one and only son. Vance Havner captures this in a little quote. He says, Christmas is about an exchange of gifts. And here's the exchange. God gives this gift to man, his unspeakable gift of his son. And the gift of man to God is when we present our bodies as a living sacrifice to God in gratitude for what he has done for us. Let's take a look at God's gift and then we can think about what we will give 
to him. God's gift is amazing. He gives us this glorious, gracious gift of himself. Notice the glorious gift of God when God's one and only son invaded our world with glory. There were glimpses of glory, I think even in the sky lighting up as the angels were singing. There was a sense that something big was about to happen. This bright light signified that light was coming into the world But what he says to us in verse 14 is significant because he's been talking about the word, the word who was with God, the word who was God in the beginning, verse one, this one who was the light who has come into the world. And then in verse 14, he just spells it out and he says, the word, Jesus, became flesh, not just a body, but he took on flesh. He was incarnated. We, we sang it earlier, but I, I love it when I'm walking through a mall this time of year or through a store and they're blaring over the speakers, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel, he is the incarnation. And this is the story of the incarnation, literally in flesh. The word became flesh and God dwelt among us. He pitched his tent. He tabernacled among us. For the first time this week, I was just studying this and I, I realized I was reading and, and the, the same consonants in Greek for pitched his tent, S-K-N, skenos is tent. Those same three consonants are the consonants that are found in the Hebrew language, Shekinah, the glory or presence of God among us. It's like love in any language. God put his presence among us. He was God with us. And when we saw who he was, we saw, he says, the glory of God. I was reading in 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, and it says, we saw him and we touched him and we had fellowship. We had community with him. Jesus Christ didn't just pretend to come to earth, but he literally became a human being and lived among us. And this is great news of glory for us because in looking at him, we see the glory of God. So somebody says, just show us the father. And Jesus says, when you've seen me, you've seen the the father. And it's there in verse 18, the one and only God. Some Some of the manuscripts say the one and only God becomes flesh and lives among us. And of course, when we see him, We see glory because he is the one and only. You ever received a a one of a kind gift? Somebody gave me a book, a limited edition book years ago and I think there were 50 copies of that book and you can open it up, mine's like number 34 or something like that. I mean, it's a limited edition, you'll see those things but I just sort of, you know, on the internet this week, I was just looking, so if I wanted to give somebody a one of a kind gift, could I find it immediately? You know, you punch in one of a kind gift and then there are all these one of a kind gift, you know, offers to you and you can buy them in quantities of three or six or nine and I'm thinking, really? Because if they're one of a kind, how come I can get nine of them? right? Because they must not be one of a kind. But, but God's son was one of a kind. So here's the thing. Um, he was the only begotten, the only one. And this is, I think, the distinctiveness of Christianity. And it's why we can't really sort of syncretize Christianity with other religions. Because many of the Eastern religions get this idea of the imminence of God, that God is sort of in things, that he is in everyone, they would say. So when you say that God was in Jesus, in flesh, they go, yeah, okay, okay. Because, um, 
you know, God is in things. And so they get that. And then on the other side, you have like Islam and Judaism and the transcendence of God. And it would be blasphemous to think that God could become a human being. And this is Christianity, the uniqueness, sort of bringing that together and saying, God is imminent enough to come into the world that he made. But he's transcendent enough that it's a one of a kind, universe sundering, earth shattering, paradigm changing moment in time, just one time, God becomes human being and lives among us so that we can see his glory, the glory of the one and only. You say, well, yeah, we see, we see God's glory in the face of the baby, the incarnation, but I want us to see the glory in the crucifixion because as you study the word glory in the gospel of John, what you realize is Jesus Jesus shows his glory not only by coming into the world but by being crucified. And uh, we see this, I think, especially um, a, a quote we have about this, a, a moment when, when Jesus, like a slave, begins to wash the feet. Leslie Newbegin, this, um, this missionary to India, says, we really see the glory of God in the figure of a slave humbly washing the feet of his disciples. That's John 13. And finally offering up life itself in obedience to his father's will. Here's the difference. This is the glory. It's not the self-glorification of a supreme monad or deity which egocentric man fashions in his own image because we'll create God in our own image if we're not careful. A celestial reflection of our own self-glorification. No, no, God's glory is the ceaseless, limitless giving of love and honor to the other within the being of the one God. This alone is the true Glory, God serving, giving his life for us. It's incarnation, it's crucifixion, it's glorious, it is gracious. So John, who maybe knew Jesus better than any human being who walked with him for those three years of ministry, says the thing about Jesus is he was full in a world where people are running on empty, where people are, 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 have, are, have full garages and, and full bank accounts and full houses, but empty souls Jesus comes and John says, yeah, he was just full. He's full of grace and truth. He's full of grace and truth. He says, look, Moses gave us the law, but, but Jesus gave us grace and truth. He had so much grace and truth that he was full of it and it overflows into the world and flows into our lives. So we talk about truth and we want the truth and and the thing about the truth is, you know, Moses gives us the law and people say, well, if we, just, if we just had the laws, if people just knew the Ten Commandments, if we could just post them in enough places, the world would be a better place. But I'm not so sure about that. I was listening to Alistair Begg talk about the Ten Commandments. He's preaching a series on them. Maybe you're listening to him too. He's a great Bible teacher. And, and, uh, and he said after he preached about the fifth or sixth one of those, one of his deacons called him and said, okay, I'm 0 for 6. I haven't kept any of the commandments that you're talking about. But I looked ahead and I think I'm going to be like one for 10 because he thought he hadn't made any graven images except then he found out about how much idolatry, how our hearts are idol-making factories. And finally he wrote back to the pastor and said, okay, I'm 0 for 10. And the pastor said, good, because here's the deal. The 10 commandments are not a ladder upon which we climb up to God the Ten Commandments are a mirror that show us the truth about ourselves. And the thing about Jesus is he was full of truth. He showed us the truth about ourselves. He didn't say sin is okay or you're not that bad of a sinner. No, he catches a woman in adultery and still he tells her the truth, go and sin no more. But he also gives her grace and says, neither do I condemn you. And I love that, that thought from Alexander Solzhenitsyn, one word of truth 
outweighs the whole world. I think I'd capitalize that W. One word, one, Martin Luther wrote and saying, one little word shall fell them. Just ask who that may be. Christ Jesus, it is he. Jesus, he didn't just tell the truth. He didn't just live the truth. He embodied the truth. So when Pilate says to him, what is truth? Jesus can say to his disciples on that last night, I am the way and the truth and the life. He's the way we walk. He's the truth we trust. He's the life we live. Jesus was full of truth. And Jesus was also full of grace. Good thing for people like us because when we find out the truth about ourselves, then we know how much trouble we're in and how much we need God's unmerited favor, God's riches at Christ's expense. We need God's grace to abound to us so that even though we were dead in transgressions and sins, but God who was rich in mercy gave us life, gave us love, poured life into us. I heard a story, an Advent story. I prefer that word Advent, I think, over any other to describe the season. We're lighting Advent candles. And that image of Advent grace this week I heard from Tarrant, Alabama. Anybody ever been to Tarrant, Alabama? Uh, I've never been there, but uh, Jim Felder's waving his hand. So some... Tarrant, Alabama, amazing story this week. A lady named Helen Johnson goes into a grocery store and was walking out with a carton of eggs that she had concealed. She was stealing them. She was caught uh, shoplifting, caught in the act. What do you do when somebody's caught in the act? So she's dealing with the the policeman and uh, this policeman looks at her and says, okay, here's the deal. William Stacy was his name. He said, here's the deal. I'll just buy you the eggs, okay? And you promise me you're not gonna steal eggs anymore. Okay, why don't, why don't we do that? I don't know if he's read Les Miserables, but it's the same story, isn't it? I mean, he's the priest in this case, and he's the one who's saying, look, um, I bought, with these eggs, I bought your soul back for God. Now take these eggs and go and become an honest person. I mean, that's the same story as Les Miserables, and, and um, just they interviewed her afterward because when the story made the news, of course, I love this time of year because the generosity and the hospitality and offerings and donations flowed into her life. And, and she said when the reporter was interviewing her, Helen Johnson said, I have not seen my house this full since I lived with my grandmother when I was 12 years old. And now I'm 47 and I'm a grandmother and I haven't stopped crying all day because I'll tell you why, because when God who is full of grace, fills us with his grace, we overflow through our eyes. And she just knew that she had encountered the grace of God and the grace of God changed everything. So this glorious God invades our world and this gracious God invests our world with truth. And here's the exchange that Vance Havner is talking about. God gives, he cares enough to give his one and only. Maybe the measure of a great gift. I've been thinking about this and I have to confess, I'm not. Some members of my family are very good givers. I'm sort of, you know, I shop like on the 24th uh, of every December. And you'll see me if you go. Please don't go on that day because, you, you know. But anyway, I go on that day. And, but here's the thing. The perfect gift ought to be something that's, that's unique, that you don't already have. I mean, if you already got 10 of them, it's like, well, so what, right? And it ought to be something that only that person can give to you. So God gave us what only God can give to us. Now, what could we give to God that God would want that only we could give? What, what would that be? Remember, remember the, the, little, the little poem, Rosetti's poem, what can I give him, I'm poor as I am, 
If I were a shepherd, I'd give him a lamb. If I were a wise man, I'd do my part. What can I give him? Give him my heart. Look, I mean, can I say something to you this morning? Because I love everybody in this room. I love everybody in this room. If I could give your whole life to God for you, I'd do it. Because I know how good it is. But I can't. You're the only one who can give your whole life to God. And the only way that will ever happen is when you realize, like, like the wise men, like the magi, that what we get from God is of such surpassing worth that nothing we have would be too great a gift. I heard it in the story of a missionary who went overseas and they asked, her name was Susan Parker and her, her father was asked, how do you feel about your daughter going overseas as a missionary? And he said, nothing I have is too precious for Jesus. And he was put to the test because when she died on the mission field and they brought her back and they were burying her, they said, this is too high a cost for you to bear as a father losing your only daughter. And he said, nothing I have is too precious for Jesus. Is this what Paul was talking about in Romans 11 and 12 when he says, by the way, Romans chapter 11, there's that great doxology. You can just use that for your devotional time this week. Those last verses, verses 33 to 36 of Romans 11. But one of the things he says there is God doesn't owe us. Since he gave us his only son, he doesn't owe us anything. And then he says in chapter 12, verse one, in full view of God's mercy, because wherever you live, you've got a front row seat to mercy. God's mercy, and he says, in full view of God's mercy, now present your bodies as living sacrifices to God because your life is one of a kind and you're the only one who can give it to God and I wish you would give it to God. This week I found a little book in my upstairs library. Um, I, I had forgotten about this book and it's just, it takes about 10 minutes. I wish you'd read it this week. It takes about 10 minutes to read. It's O. Henry's little book. The Gift of the Magi about Jim and Della. And it starts out $1.87. That's all Della has. Newly married, gave up her family fortune to marry her poor husband. And all she's got is $1.87. And she wants to buy him a gift. And he's got nothing. They got nothing. They, well, okay, okay. He's got the family heirloom pocket watch, which is better than any pocket watch in the whole city that came from his grandfather to his father to him. That's all he's got. And she's got this beautiful flowing long hair and she's sitting there with her dollar 87 and how in the world is she going to buy a gift for her husband for Christmas? And then it's a, it's a beautiful story. I'm going to ruin it for you right here. But I mean, she, she, he comes home from work and her, her hair is gone. I mean, she just like really cut really short and he looks at her in shock and she goes, don't get mad, it'll grow out again, but I didn't have any money and I wanted to buy it. And she presents him with this chain for his watch, this beautiful platinum chain and says, this is perfect for your watch and I sold my hair for $20 so that I could buy this chain for you. And he just sits down in a chair. You can just hear it in the words. He's so stunned and she goes, you're mad, you're mad at me. Please don't be mad at me. They're newlyweds, please don't be mad at me. And he goes, I'm not mad at you, but I sold the watch so that I could buy these tortoiseshell combs for your hair. And she sold the hair and he sold the watch to give the gifts for those exact treasures. And then this is how O. Henry ends that book. It's powerful. And here I've lamely related, not as lamely as I did, by the way, related to you the uneventful chronicle of two foolish children in an apartment in a flat who most unwisely sacrificed for each other the greatest treasures of their house. But in a last word to the wise of these days, let it be said that of all who give gifts of these two were the wisest of all who give and receive gifts such as they are the wisest everywhere, they are the wisest.
They are the magi who see what a treasure we have in God and give up their treasure of their life to him. The most unforgettable conversation of 2014 for me, I was thinking about it this week, was a conversation with my new friend Tim LaFleur and he was talking to me about discipleship and he was talking about his family and he just said, you know, Jesus is a part of of the life of every member of my family. Jesus is a part. But for those two, Jesus is their treasure. It was a throw-off comment. It was about a week later that I called him and said, what did you mean? What does that mean? Because I want to know what that means. And he said, what I mean is, for some people, Jesus is just a part of their lives. But for other people, Jesus is their whole life. And when we come to understand that God gave up his one-of-a-kind son, not so that he could just be a peripheral part of our lives, but so that he could have our whole lives. Then like magi, no treasure will be too great. Like the father of the missionary, nothing we have will be too precious for God. I asked before, I haven't heard your answer, Mary Oliver's question. So what were you planning to do with your one wild, precious life. Give it to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the treasure that you gave up when you not only sent your son into the world, but let people kill him on a cross. And Father, I pray that we will never get over that that we will never return to business as usual and say, well, that's great, and yeah, I've got a little bit of religion, and I, no, Lord, if this is true, and it is true, then the one who was full of grace and truth calls us to give our one-of-a-kind, unique lives back to you. And Lord, we want to do that today as one sister sings. We want to give it all back to you, our whole lives because they already belong to you. You made us and you redeemed us, not with perishable things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of your only son. So take our lives, we pray, as we give them as an offering to you. In Jesus' name, amen.